It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Welcome, Money Guy listeners. I'm your host, Brian Preston. And today we're going to be talking about something that is really on everybody's mind. I mean, you can't turn on the nightly news or any financial TV channel nowadays without somebody talking about inflation. And inflation is one of those things that we all you know, talk about it, but I'm wondering how many of you guys sitting out there listening, and I'm, I'm betting above average just because I know my audience, but I think they're out there in public. I want to give you the tools to where you can really talk about what inflation is what the concerns are, and then even how you protect yourself. And I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there, how long we might need to be thinking about before this terrible, terrible thing of, well, I don't know if I call it completely terrible. Inflation is one of those things that, you know, you hear people talk about, like my parents bought their house in 1978 for 60000 and now it's probably worth like two twenty, you know. So this is one of those things. Inflation is not always terrible because think about it, if they had it paid off, they're probably pretty excited that it's gone up to $220,000. But um, inflation is one of those things that is terrible if you are a person that is sitting on a lot of cash, if you are um, sitting in a floating interest rate type product. So I guess it can be terrible in those aspects, and I'm going to try to tell you how we can fight that and use it as a tool. Now, let me do the intro stuff. I always kind of get a little ahead of myself. So if you're new to the Money Guy show, you have to kind of get used to that personality flaw of me. But my name is Brian Preston. Uh, By day, I'm actually a fee-only wealth manager on the south side of Atlanta. I am a certified public accountant, a certified financial planner, and a personal financial specialist, which means I'm a CPA that does financial planning. I'm also Uh, a National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, NAPFA member, which means we're we're one of those guys that's fee only. Um, Doesn't mean that I don't think there's a place for all the other advisors out there, but we choose to use fee only. I've worked on both sides of the coin like fee only because I feel like I'm sitting on the same side of the table as the client. If you want to go check us out, you can go to money-guy.com. On the website, we have show notes as well as all kind of additional information. You can even sign up for a free membership where we will blast out every time we do a new show. If you really like what we have, we, we take it a little deeper with our premium membership, and you can go check that out too. If you want to write the show, it's Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. But let's talk about this this slippery, slippery term of inflation and, and really what that means because this is what you hear everybody talking about and there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of variables that impact this and I want to go ahead and give credit where credit is due where some of my research has come from. As y'all know, I'm, my firm is Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Um, I'm on the south of Atlanta office down here in McDonough, Georgia. My partner is Bill Cleveland. He's over in Augusta, Georgia. So for all the all you guys that are saying, why don't you ever have Bill on the show? Well, you have to realize Bill is in a separate office. So, But we, we share the same servers on the network. It's amazing what technology allows you to do these days. But Bill is a very sharp guy. I always say he's the smart one, I'm the loud one. And he wrote a, he had a, an editor for one of the medical magazines that he does a, a lot of work for, writing columns, providing input on articles. One of the editors contacted him and asked him to kind of summarize and provide information about inflation. And Bill sent it over to me to, to get a proof. It's probably a month and a half, two months ago. Thought he did an awesome job with the article. And I asked him immediately if I could use this on the podcast. He said, sure, no problem. Just let me um, work with the editor, get it out. So I think the two months has gone by, so it's perfectly clear. 
and clear for me to go ahead and use this. I don't think Bill would mind. So let's go ahead and I want to kind of go through what Bill put together here um, to discuss inflation because I thought it was very, very important. A lot of people, you know, you can't turn on the news right now without people talking about inflation and they, inflation and they immediately talk about the government's role in what's going on with inflation. And I think we need to break this down to make sure everybody understands that the government does influence the economy, but they influence the economy through two different areas. You have your physical, your fiscal, I don't know why I said physical, this is not Olivia Newton-John, fiscal with an F. Fiscal is, um, you know, is controlled by the president and Congress. It's the use of government spending and taxation to, to really influence the economy. But, and um, people are concerned. I mean, definitely with our fiscal policies right now, many people are talking about how they're worried about the, the huge budget deficits that were started by some of the previous presidents and then kind of carried on by the current president, President Obama. So I don't want you to think this is um, a one-sided discussion. We definitely think that there have been errors in leadership on, on both sides in that aspect. So, but a lot of people are talking about the current budget deficits, the rising national debt, and then definitely the possibility for higher taxes in the future. I mean, you only have to listen to about two or three of our shows to hear me talking about the concern I have in the years of 2016 and 2017 when Social Security and Medicare um, are really going to have some huge financial issues. So we all know about the, the fiscal policies of the government and how those influence the economy because you hear about that on the nightly news and you hear talk radio hosts talking about it. But one of the things that's not understood and has a huge impact on our economy as well and inflation is the monetary policy. And it's definitely not completely understood by the public. And that's why I want to kind of bring you up to speed to understand how monetary policy plays into this whole discussion as well. And you, you need to know monetary policy is run by that independent body called the Federal Reserve. Um, the Federal, the Fed, is every, as you hear people talk about it, when they said, you know, the Fed came out with a release today, you know, and that impacted the, the economy and the stock markets. You need to realize Ben Bernanke currently serves as the chairman. You, you, ben is kind of, he's now getting to be where he's a household name just because of the crisis. But before Ben Bernanke, I think everybody probably remembers who the Fed chairman was because he was kind of a household name and also had that great, great quote back in the 2000s where he talked about the irrational exuberance of what happened in the economy before the dot-com bubble burst, and that was Alan Greenspan. He was the, the, he was the former um, Fed chairman, and he was on there for many years, and there was a lot of people who, you know, there was books as well as, you know, you had to pretty much learn how to decipher Greenspan talk because he didn't speak talk very clearly. I think it was kind of a game for him to see how confusing, how confused he could make the analyst be with um, his unclear discussion points. Well, Ben Bernanke is a lot different. I think he's a lot more concise and clear. And we actually are very blessed that Ben is such an expert on the Great Depression because, you know, he's done a ton of research in the past, and that probably has served us well with everything that has happened in the banking sector pretty much right after he came on the scene. So, we need to understand that he is the head of the the, the Federal, Federal Reserve, the Fed, and there's also been some recent acts that really do impact a lot of things, and those include the lowering of the short, short-term lending rates, the Fed funds rate is what it's known, between 0% to a quarter of a percent. And then you also need to understand a, a term, you know, a, a, an item that's very relevant to you is the prime rate, which is typically about 3% above, above the Fed funds rate, and that's why, you know, you see Prime right now 
is right around three and a quarter. Um, so it's 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 a you know it's it's right there at a very, at historic low areas you know levels right now. And this rate is mainly used by for your lines of credit, like your home equity lines. It's also used by your credit cards as like a base rate because they'll say we're going to be prime plus whatever you know they add to for for your credit card rate. And then short-term lending rates by builders and other businesses who are using the money for a short-term period, less than a year typically, they will get a loan, a short-term loan that is based upon the prime rate. So the prime rate, which is you know is typically three percent above the Fed funds rate is very important to a lot of things that go on your day-to-day basis. Also, you think about savings accounts. A lot of this stuff, the banks do determine how much they go pay on your savings accounts based upon what's going on with the Fed and the rates that they set. And um, they've devoted an enormous amount of money to holding down long-term interest rates and mortgage rates by buying mortgage-backed securities and long-term U.S. treasuries. They're artificially keeping rates low. And the reason they're doing this, let's face it, what where did, what led us into a lot of this was obviously the housing disaster, kind of the, the crunch where the whole market market on the housing side kind of imploded upon itself, the size of it. I always tell people what we have, I know down here in Georgia specifically, is we have a huge inventory problem, meaning that we got way ahead of ourselves. We built way more houses than were necessary and had people to buy. So now we have this huge inventory problem where we have all these houses that are sitting out there and not enough qualified buyers to take them. So the government is trying to artificially keep rates low because they need people to buy those houses to get rid of that excess inventory so we can try to grow, you know, crawl out of this housing disaster that we're in. And that's kind of the strategy they're doing is that they are keeping rates low so it keeps it very affordable. Because think about how hard it would be if we had you know, all these houses sitting out there, as well as interest rates that were approaching double digits on a mortgage rate. Think about if you, you're not going to have anybody out there buying houses, if that's the case. So the Fed is trying to take a, a very proactive role of keeping those rates very low. And, and you know, in a way, they've, I've heard this in terminology, I don't know if this was a Fed term, but I've heard it on all the financial news channels that I watch, is that they're kind of taking the position that they need to save the patient first, and then they'll deal with the consequences later, meaning that they're trying to just keep the, the patient alive, and then they'll come back and, and deal with the ramifications. That's the analogy that you hear people around the Fed talking or analysts of the Fed talking about. And the difficulty with this is that there's definitely going to be side effects from these policy changes that they're making. And the problem is we don't know what those ramifications are going to be because they're often felt many months, if not even years later. And that's why the very valid concerns is that you you hear people talking about we're leveraging, we're borrowing off of the future of our children. And that's where you're you're hearing people talking about the side effects of the Fed's monetary policy. Because I've shared with you guys is there is a lot of concern about, you know, what we're doing with this economy. Because remember, America is very blessed that we have a world currency, the U.S. dollar. I mean, I know when in my travels for pleasure, whenever you go and you want to tip somebody, if you haven't changed in your money, no biggie, because they love getting U.S. dollars. U.S. dollars are also used for most oil trading. You know, it's one of those things that was set up back when oil was discovered in the Middle East, is that that when you trade, other countries trade oil, they use U.S. dollars. So we have a reserve, you know, a currency that is very stable 
and is kind of universal throughout the world. Well, there's been a lot of talk primarily because of our monetary policy. Because remember, we're printing, printing a lot of money. And there's nothing supporting it. There's no, you know, you don't have Fort Knox carrying enough gold to support the value. It's not tied or pegged to gold standards or anything else like that. It's just by the, the faith uh, and backing of the federal government. And so a lot of, of our counterparts in other countries are starting to say, what do you, you guys are abusing your power there, and we're not going to put up with this. So these are the side effects when I, when I talk about, and when my partner Bill mentioned this article, side effects, this, this is exactly what he's talking about. And I'm going to jump back into what he, was, what he has here in his article. And he, he goes on, I know Bill added, he said that many economists and individuals talk, um, that I talk with are very happy that the markets have stabilized. Um, for the most part, the Fed should receive high marks for its efforts to remove the panic from the economy. And then he goes on, he says, having said that, though, there's also this uneasiness and concern about the cost we will pay for stabilizing the patient, leading many to expect higher inflation inflation, and higher interest rates in the future. And I, I thought one of the things I went and pulled, because I get emails from Fidelity all the time talking about things you need to be concerned about, and they, there's a chart that I have that um, says the indication of a potential monetary problem in the U.S. can be seen in the significant drop of the U.S. dollar over the last six months. And I can tell you, looking at this, uh, it's called it's the Federal Reserve Trade-Weighted U.S. Dollar Exchange Index. We were right around, back in April of 2009, right at 84 with this index, and then it pretty much drops down to right around 75. So, I mean, there has been a pretty significant drop in the value of the dollar compared to other currencies, the euro, the yen, other things, we're, we're starting to see where the purchasing power of the dollar, if you're traveling abroad, you're going to get a little sticker shock more than likely. So I think that's something you definitely have to be considered and be concerned about. It, it says, um, there's, he, I think one of the things that Bill did a great job in this article with is he says, okay, so now we understand who we have fiscal policy that is set by the president and then Congress, and then we have monetary policy that's set by the Fed, and this is obviously a very powerful organization. What is the Fed using to make its decisions? Because if you could figure out what they're using to make their decisions, think of how powerful that would be to let you figure out what type of decisions you need to make with your own personal finances. And I think that's, that's a great, great point, and there's actually some great clues out there that you can, we can figure out how to harness this to do good asset management, make good decisions for your own pocket and your wallet, and make sure you're doing everything possible. And I think um, that's worth discussing. And one of the things that um, Bill went and did some research, and he found that there was an article um, it, that was based upon a speech that was provided by Ben Bernanke, and it came out in the... Um, I think this was the Wall Street Journal. Let me see. It says, there's no better source to look to than the key criteria the Fed considers. In a speech in June of 2008 titled Outstanding Issues in the Analysis of Inflation, Chairman Ben Bernanke discusses four areas. So actually, if you want to go find this, probably if you just go onto Google and type in Outstanding Issues in the Analysis of Inflation, and, and I bet this comes up. It's probably, you'll probably be able to pull the transcript right up from Chairman Bernanke's speech that he gave back in June of 2008, which very interesting to me is, you know, right before all this happened. So this probably could get a lot of insight. Um, the first criteria that Chairman Bernanke looks at is the, the inflation expectations, meaning that they care what we in the public think about inflation. And they go on and they look at um, 
where they think inflation's going in the future because we do have some input on that. And one of the things they look at is they go look at TIPS. You know, those are those inflation-protected securities that you can get, the Treasury Inflation-Protected Securities, what TIPS stands for, if you've ever been curious. And you can go figure out where the public and what the market thinks is going on with inflation by going and looking at the difference in the spread between the 10-year Treasury yield and then the inflation-protected securities, the TIPS yield, and you can kind of find out where inflation is right now. And, the, and by the way, these are rates that come out every day. So you can kind of get a barometer of where we are at all times. And I went and pulled the 930 2009 values. And the 10-year Treasury was right at 3.31%. And the 10-year TIPS yield was right at 1.56. So if you do the math on this, they're expecting, the market is expecting inflation to be right at 1.75%. Well, that's historically low because the average for over the last 50 years has been 4.1%. Normally, the Fed wants you to have uh, an inflation, expected inflation rate to be somewhere between 2 and 2.5%. Two and so if we're right now at 1 and 3 quarters, we're well below. So they're probably pretty pleased. Um, I think, remember, this is what they're looking at, and this is why they can feel comfortable saying, hey, we're going to leave the Fed funds rate unchanged. We're going, to, we're going to leave it is because we don't see anything in it. You know, another example of that was yesterday. It's all over the news. Social Security, a lot of senior citizens are upset because there's not going to be any cost of living adjustments provided to them. Because actually, if you think about it, and I'm going to get in, I'm probably jumping the gun here. Um, inflation is pretty much non-existent according to, to CPI, Consumer Price Index. And I'll talk about that in a minute. And I'm going to tell you that there is some concern for inflation if you Look at some other things. So let me let me let me bring this in. The Fed also closely watches and is concerned about the, the impact of higher commodity prices, as well as the cost of labor and its impact on inflation. So I've told you they're worried about inflation expectations, but then they also are very concerned about fuel prices. Think about how much we were watching the price of oil and the barrel, the price of a barrel of oil in the past, and then also how much the cost of labor. You need to know if it's costing more to employ more people out there. But with unemployment rates being above 9%, I think at the end of August, they were at 9.7%. We very well could have the September 30th numbers, and I just don't have those in front of me, but I know we're right around 97 9.8%, somewhere in that range. Um, but many economists note that this should put a lid on wages for several years and, and keep down inflation. And that's very true. I, I've had people tell me who, who don't watch investing as much as I watch it, and they say, Brian, how in the world can we have an economic recovery with unemployment being close to 10%? And I say, well, that's actually pretty easy because all you have to do is you have the perfect recipe like we've had right now where the average employee is just so thankful to have a job because their neighbors are out of work, they've got family members out of work, that they are scared to death and very thankful to have their job, that productivity is at all-time highs, meaning that you've got employees that are doing more heavy lifting than they've ever done in their life. So productivity is through the roof. And if you can get a ton more, a ton more of work out of a single employee, maybe it took two in the past, and now you're getting it out of one, all of a sudden your financials start looking a lot better. And that's where the first wave of some of this recovery has come from. As you've seen, earnings expectations have been smoking um, what everybody was thinking is because we went from zero. I mean, we had really thought we were circling the drain with this thing. And then you got everybody who was scared to death and you got workers working their tails off. And all of a sudden you're saying, whoa, 
They're making, they're doing pretty good with a lot less. But that's why a lot of people in this third quarter have started saying, well, let's start seeing some top line growth. Let's start seeing that their sales numbers are up. But I just want to back, double back and say it is possible to have a recovery. I don't know if it's a long-term recovery, but you can have some type of recovery with unemployment being at 10% just because you have so many employees that are scared to death that they're doing more work than they've ever done. They're taking on projects. It's, it's one of the funny things is Bo here, we have a very open, fun atmosphere here at the office but he printed out there was an article on yahoo and this was probably i don't know month month and a half ago but it was it was talking about how to make yourself look good at the workplace and not, how not to annoy your boss and, and all, you never see articles like this unless you're in a situation where obviously unemployment is as high as it, it, it was i thought it was i wish i had that article you don't you don't still have that article it would be funny to throw a few, a few of those out because some of them were pretty funny it was you know Obviously, don't ask for pay raises. Don't um, uh, don't take your your shoe. Here's one that I remember. Don't take your shoes off at work. Make sure you're staying very professional, which cracked us up because um, half the time we're walking around here with just socks on. But not when we have client meetings, though. Fortunately, but um, it's one of those things. But it is you can have a lot more productivity growth, and that's why you can have this. Is because I think most people are just ha- happy to have a job. Um, and you're seeing that within the productivity numbers, and that's why you've seen some of the things that have happened. But um, let's move on. It says, any policy moves that the Fed make always take 6 to 12 months to filter into the economy. And given this lag, the Fed is trying to estimate what inflation is going to be, not necessarily what it is today. And that's why many economists will adjust current measures of inflation, like the consumer price index and the producer price index, to try to analyze what factors are temporarily impacting inflation versus factors they expect to persist. Many economists look at the core CPI, which removes food and energy. For example... As of September 30th, 2009, CPI index was actually at a negative 1.3%. Hence, the, the senior citizens getting very upset that their Social Security has not gone up because that's the, that's the 12 month, that's the numbers compared to one year ago. So in the last year, according to um, CPI, inflation's at a negative 1.3%. But, but look at what's changed in the last year. You remember, it wasn't that long ago, at the end of 2008, I mean, we had fuel cost. I mean, we on the school board, we just looked at um, how much it was costing our fuel consumption was with school buses and everything else. And when you're paying close to $4 a gallon for gasoline, and now you're paying, paying right around 2 two ten for gas, things are looking a lot better in that aspect. And that's why you have to do – But so if you take into account energy is a big, big part of what goes into CPI, you can get that, that, that skewed view – that actually inflation is going down. We have we don't have we have deflation, not inflation. But that's why you see economists look at that core number because what core does is it takes out food and energy. And um, when you take food and energy out, instead of us having a negative 1.3 CPI over the last 12 months, the core CPI was actually up one and a half percent. That's just showing that yeah, there is a little bit of a concern that you need to look at. But it's not anything like we had back in the 1970s, the early part of 1980s. So um, you can see how this can be very, very volatile. Um, it, it's, it's just one of those things that you have to make sure you pay attention to and know how oil, food, and other things play into inflation because they have a huge part of it. So we've kind of laid that tool out for you. And so 
now that I've given you the background, and you kind of probably can, you know, very easily discuss this with your friends and neighbors, um, let's talk about what you can do to protect yourself and what you can do to what I tell clients to hedge against the risk of inflation. And one of the things you need to take into account is that you can put in some very simple things that should do very well if we do come into inflation. And inflation is going to come. It's just not is inflation coming, it's when is inflation coming. And one of the things that I'm telling people right now is this is a good time to really evaluate your personal situation and your investments and realize some of these assets are still, that you haven't missed the boat completely. Um, potential hedges for inflation is obviously commodities. You know, that's, that's your oil and gas. There's um, gold. There's tips. We've already talked about those tips. Um, floating rate notes, foreign bonds, and then foreign and domestic equities. All these things can be what's can, are historically considered hedges for inflation. And that's why it's very interesting to me when clients talk to me about inflation. I've gotten several phone calls from clients saying, hey, Brian, we got inflation coming. You know, are, are we doing what we need to? And, and I always have to remind them that the worst place you can be with inflation is straight up cash. Because that's what's going to deteriorate, to deteriorate your purchasing power is if inflation starts eating up your cash. If you got your money in some five to 10 year CDs locked in in the last year because you were scared to death, what do you think is going to happen to you when, when inflation does come and you're locked in on those super low rates? It's going to eat you. And that's why I will tell you, um, I'm dealing with a situation right now is um, I had one client go to cash back in November. Every one of my other clients stayed the course through this downturn, but I had one client go to cash and um, we advised that not, that not to occur, but she just um, realized how much that, I think it's the Dow 10,000, you know, it, it being on the nightly news, the headline on the nightly news is kind of, has hit, and I've gotten some phone calls from her where she's she's obviously very upset, and, and it bothers me, but it's, it's one of those things where I think you have to as a consumer, and this is the point of me bringing this client up, is that when the markets are getting hammered like they were back in November of last year, February, March of this year, you have to realize there might be more risk than not being invested in a fully diversified asset allocation that matches your goals, your age, and your risk level. Because if you're sitting in cash, you're locked in. And then when inflation comes, not only are you locked in, but your purchasing power is then decreased as well. And, that, and that's the thing you really, really have to think about. And that's why it, it's very interesting to me when you look at cash levels right now. We're working on our quarterly commentary that we're about to publish on the premium section in the next week. And one of the things, Bill wrote it this quarter, and I'll tell you one of the things that I thought was very interesting that he points to in there is the cash levels are still at a historic highs. There is more cash on the, on the sidelines than the entire value of the S&P 500 right now. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I remember reading that when I was proofing what Bill had put together, and I thought that was a very interesting statistic. I think I, I, it was it was much bigger than than normal uh, on how much cash is sitting on the sidelines, and these are people I know they're nervous. They're just like that client of mine that went to cash back in November, but what they don't understand in the big big picture is that they might be taking on more risk than they realize. Just because, remember, when inflation comes, companies can raise their prices. If you're stuck in some long-term CD, 
you can't raise the prices. You can't go to the bank and I mean, pull it out and then try to get into a higher yielding, but you're going to forfeit the yield that you already have and you get yourself in, in, in a situation. So remember when we're talking about this in commodities, that sounds so much more sophisticated. Um, we use mutual funds. You know, you can go find you a good energy fund. You can go find you a good just um, commodities type mutual fund out there. Vanguard, Pimpco, these are all fund companies that offer holdings in these type of asset classes. Now, I will tell you, I had a, a listener who wrote me, they became a premium member, and they looked at our model portfolios, and they were kind of shocked that when I talk about a commodity exposure, that only had 5 to 7% for most portfolios in commodities. I'm like, wow, that's, that's conservative. But this is not stuff. This stuff is extremely, extremely volatile. Remember, oil got up over $150 a barrel, and then it has fallen down to $35 a barrel. If you had more than 5 to 7% of your portfolio in that, and you're in close to retirement age, you would be, your knuckles would be bare white because you're going to be hanging onto that roller coaster as tight as possible, and you're not going to get any sleep. And that's just not what we have in, in mind. These, these are tools to be used as a hedge, as insurance from an inflation period. It doesn't mean you go bet the entire farm on this because guess what? You start taking too much risk and betting the entire farm, you're going to end up in, in a worse situation. So I know I disappointed that listener that we weren't investing more into commodities and other things, but we're looking at diversified portfolios that not only try to, to get good long-term performance, but they try to really protect you from giving back everything that you've made in the, the two downturns that usually occur every decade. And I think that's a big, big part. Gold, you can do gold through ETFs. You can do gold through some mutual funds. You don't have to go call the 1-800 number um, while you're listening to talk radio or late-night TV. These things crack me up. I guess if you want to, you know, the problem with gold, if you buy it from some of these sources, is what are they go? I mean, you, you're actually going to keep bullion in your house or at the safety deposit box. I mean, you get into a storage issue there. That just seems, uh, I don't know, that's, that's a little out there. But gold is not a bad investment if you buy it. I mean, I think ETFs, some of the funds, you're going to get the, the return of gold without having to have the downside of actually tangibly having to keep things. I guess that doesn't protect you from the guys who are worried that you're going to need to be able to produce your own water, electricity, and um, keep three years' worth of rations down in the basement. So, I mean, I, I'm not here to protect you from that. So... If you're one of those people, you know, to, to each his own. Tips, we've already talked about tips. Tips, remember, have a base yield that they pay you, and then they throughout the year they also have an, an, an adjustment um, for an additional return that's provided based upon whatever's going on in, in, with inflation. So if we get into an inflationary period, you're going to be able to get that, that uptick because these funds are not static. They're not locked in. You're going to get whatever's going on with inflation. You're going to capture that return as well. Foreign bonds, what protects you with foreign bonds as well as foreign equities is that if you're buying into, because they have revenue streams as well as, you know, it's not only the, the, the income being paid by the bond or the income and dividends being paid by the foreign equities. It's also the change in the value of the dollar versus the currency of the, the home currency of that, that business. Um, so you might get a pickup not only on the gains of the company, but also the gains of if the dollar has gone down in value versus their currency in the country that you're, you know, that, that business is in, you could have a double whammy on gains. Now it cuts the other way. If the dollar does have a, a somehow we, 
we turn the tide and our monetary policy changes, you can see how it cuts both ways, though, is that you could get stuck having a company making a great return, and um, you lose value just because the dollar strengthened. But um, don't see a lot of risk of that right now. So, so look into that and, and think about, you know, what you can do to hedge against those type of things. And I mentioned you can buy into mutual funds as well as exchange-traded ETF funds that will do a lot of these things that we're talking about. Now, I've already mentioned that at some point the Fed's going to have to change course. So what is that going to look like when the Federal Reserve realizes that, okay, we've survived, the patient is off of life support, but now we've got to pull this thing back into check. What are they going to do to fight inflation? Well, there's actually been some clues put out there. Chairman Bernanke wrote an editorial back in July 21st of 2009 that he put in the Wall Street Journal titled The Fed's Exit Strategy. Because a lot of people are asking this of Chairman Bernanke. So he went out there and put an article. And that's why if, you, if you're a member of Wall Street Journal, you can go pull up The Fed's Exit Strategy written by you know Ben Bernanke, Chairman Bernanke on July 21st, 2009. And what he basically said that rather than buying U.S. Treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, they're either going to hold or become a seller. So when that occurs, you know what's going to happen is, is that with the more supply in the system of these type of, of bonds and, and treasuries, you're going to see um, investors are going to start demanding higher, higher interest rates. Right now, we're keeping it in check because the government's just buying, 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 and they're driving down the, the, the prices and the interest rates because you've got plenty of buyers out there. But when all of a sudden you have all these products that are flooded the market because you don't have the government buying this stuff anymore, investors are going to start wanting higher interest rates. And they're also going to begin, in addition to not buying these products and the interest rates are going to start going up just naturally on these products, you're also going to see the Fed begin to increase the Fed funds rate. So you can see that this stuff, when that happens, and I think we have a little time because we don't have a lot of inflationary pressure or labor pressure um, just because unemployment's so high. So you don't have people demanding new pay, um, higher pay, and raises. But um, it could happen down the road. And when it happens, this is something I need you to pay attention to. Those of you guys who are sitting on a lot of credit card debt, who are sitting on home equity lines with variable rates on them, you need to be thinking about what your exit strategy is over the next 12 to 24 months. You've got to figure it out. If you're sitting on a big balance, you're going to get eaten alive if you don't go ahead and plan ahead. I know those home equity lines are great in the fact that if you've got, I'll tell you, I have one sitting out there on my house that's prime minus a half. So I'm paying 2.75%. I'm paying that thing down as fast as I can just because I know it's a 2.75, and there's an argument. Bo and I had a whole discussion, and I think this was before he realized that this was going to change if the economy changed and the Fed funds rate changed. So he's like, you don't need to pay that off. That's not the truth. You need to pay things off as fast as possible or lock them in at a, at a stable fixed rate because if you're carrying huge balances on these variable products, when inflation kicks, hang on for the ride. Because I don't know how high it's going to go, but do you want to take that chance? Do you really want to take that chance? I'd also encourage you, if you're one of these people sitting completely on the sidelines, only in cash, consider looking at alternatives. You know, put some tips into your portfolio. You know, do some things that are going to not only just sit there in cash and be careful about locking yourself into anything 
that would be considered intermediate to long-term, meaning you really don't want to have any products, safe products like CDs, that have maturity rate dates past really two years. I think you could be locking yourself into a much lower than market rate of return if you lock yourself into some bonds, treasuries, CDs that are very that are long-term or, or even mid-term, meaning if they're, if they're longer than two years, you really want to stay short-term on a lot of your fixed income and, and safe exposure. So, so pay attention to these things because your debt as well as your, your, your cash could get very dicey once inflation kicks in. I think you probably have, as I just kind of alluded to when I was talking about the CD rates, I think we got another year. I'm worried what happens when, because remember 2010, the way the government set this up, it's an election year in 2010. That's when a lot of the stimulus money is going to hit. So I think we're okay. Stability is going to be here because we have this artificial event occurring with the government dumping a lot of money into it with the stimulus and keeping rates artificially low for a while. So not only do you have the fiscal stimulus from the, the Congress and the president, you've also got the monetary stimulus of the them keeping the, the, the flow of money very easy. The money supply is open right now by keeping those rates super, super low. So I think we have some stability, but I'm worried what happens the second half of 2010. What happens when that, infl- that, that stimulus money starts drying up? Oh, and that productivity gains are already built into the earnings of these companies because, you know, an employee is only going to work this hard for so long before you just get burned out. So that's the part where it could, there's a question mark. And that's when I think you need to go ahead and have your plan in effect when, uh, within the next 12 months on what you're going to do to fight inflation, to pay down your debt, to get your portfolio diversified so that, and I'm not saying we're going into another 2008 type year. But it's time to get your house in order. This is, that's the time to look at it. Because inflation is not something that today I think you need to be crying yourself to sleep about. But it is something you probably got a 12-month period here to get your house in order. Pay attention. Understand what it is. And know that there's a big enough opportunity, a big enough time frame here that you can do what's necessary to protect yourself. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Bo, have I missed anything on inflation? Okay, with that... I hope this, I know it's a little dry. This is not the type of stuff that gets people excited, but this is the stuff you need to know. If you're going to make it through what's going on in the economy right now, you need to understand inflation. And that's why I wanted to make sure I gave you all the analytical tools. We'll do a fun one soon, don't worry, but I wanted to give you all kind of some meat because my analytical listeners, they'd like to get this meat. I'll come back and do something fun um, in in the coming weeks. Uh, getting plenty of sleep, starting to get better with the sleep. You know, the, the baby's going four to five hours at a time, so I'm only getting up once a night. And um, it, it's starting to get easier. So I'm coming out of that dark tunnel, as one of my listeners wrote me. They call it three-month period, the, the dark tunnel or dark time. I can't remember how it was, but we're coming out of that. And I appreciate all your well wishes about our the new addition of my family. I appreciate you also being patient. I, believe me, we want to add a lot more to the premium section, we want to add a lot more just on the weekly shows, but it's just been hard um, for some of the things coming down the pipe with having this new addition to the family. We're going to kick this thing back into overdrive once I get some more stability in that aspect. But I appreciate your patience. I appreciate your comments on iTunes. I appreciate you guys that are signing up. We're going to be putting out that commentary within the next week. And just keep telling your friends and family, we owe all of our success to you, the listeners, and your grassroots growth. 
Thanks so much. And I'll be back in about a week, week and a half, depending upon what we've got coming down our pipe. And you can write us. If you like the show, B-R-I-A-N at money-guy.com. That's Brian at money-guy.com. If you want to check out the website, sign up, go to money-guy as well. I hope to talk to you in a week, week and a half. I'm your host, Brian Preston. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. And Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. 